Welcome to my podcast. I'm the Laughing Philosopher. Life is complicated. You are complicated. Everything seems to have been figured out, except how to live a happy life guided by wisdom and reason. What does it mean to be a good person? What is love? Who am I before I was told who I am? Why haven't I found myself yet? Why do I have regrets? Is this a just world? Almost from the moment of birth, we've been told how to behave, how to fit in, and how to fulfill other people's expectations. We grow to fear that we will lack importance or cease to exist in the lives of others if we think for ourselves and question the rules and roles that we've been told define us. Only when wisdom and reason removes this illusion can we live authentically in the world around us and become our real selves. Episode number 41. Should you fear death? Part two. Let's get right to it. Question seven. After I die, should I fear God? If God exists, then I am pretty certain that he doesn't care how we behave in life. I'm certain of this for three good reasons. First, God doesn't reveal himself. The living God is invisible, silent, and intangible. God chooses not to be seen, not to be heard, not to be touched, and not to be experienced at all through the human senses. God prefers to be perceived as more unreal than real. What is the difference between a God that cannot be perceived and no God at all? Second, God doesn't interfere. God chooses not to interfere in human affairs. Despite war, famine, pestilence, and death, God never intervenes directly in the business of human life. And third, God doesn't care. God chooses to act uncaring and to behave indifferently to our choices and actions. Right and wrong, good and evil, sin and virtue, yet God doesn't appear to have an opinion. God keeps his feelings to himself. In life, in your life, God prefers to be hidden, indifferent, neutral, and disinterested. We cannot even be certain that God is paying attention 
and notices what we do. So if you have nothing to fear from God in life, then there is nothing more to fear from God in death. We suffer more from worrying about death than we will from death itself. We suffer and are tormented before death by the thought of death more than we will be in death by death itself. Even if God does exist, he obviously chooses not to interfere simply because he is disinterested in human affairs. God clearly is indifferent to what we do in life. And so there is nothing to fear from God in death. Seneca, the Stoic philosopher, said, There are more things likely to frighten us than there are to crush us. We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. Question eight, what does death feel like? Don't worry about what it feels like to be dead. Do you remember how you were feeling before you were born? Death feels just the same. Life has more to fear than death. In death, we are no longer condemned to suffer the pains and torments of the living. Mark Twain said, I don't fear death. I had been dead for billions of years before I was born and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience. Fear of death is absurd. If you are not dead, then you must be alive and there is nothing to fear. And if you are dead, then you're not alive and again, there is nothing to fear. There is neither sensation nor consciousness beyond the grave, and therefore no possibility of suffering and pain. The Buddha said, death is not to be feared by one who has lived wisely. You cannot expect to achieve a happy and virtuous life if you are plagued by worry, fear, and anxiety over something as silly and inconsequential as death. Question 9. What does eternity feel like? Do you believe in an afterlife? but worry about what eternity feels like after death. Close your eyes. Count from one to three seconds. Now open your eyes. That's what eternity feels like. Question 10. Is life too short? Life is not too short. 
The problem is that we waste too much of life worrying about how to be accepted, how to be popular, and how to fulfill other people's expectations. We waste too much time worrying about these things we cannot control, and not enough time paying attention to and taking care of the things we can. We worry too much about what other people are thinking and feeling, things beyond our control. And we worry too little about how we are living and being things in our control. We live in fear that we will lose importance and cease to exist in the lives of others if we dare to question the roles and rules that we are told define us. Only if you think for yourself and use your own wisdom and reason to remove this illusion will you be able to live authentically in the world as your true self. Question 11. Do priests and organized religions know more about death than the rest of us? No one knows more than you do. Period. Priests have churches, uniforms, rituals, prayers, chants, songs, rigid rules and procedures, specialized tools and techniques, ancient books and manuscripts authored by ancient men and no women from ancient cultures. All of these things are just marketing and branding strategies designed to impress you and make you believe that priests have access to secret knowledge and know more than you do. But the indisputable fact is that priests don't know more than you do. To be sure, priests have strong ancient beliefs, but beliefs are not proof. No one has ever experienced death and then returned to our world to inform and educate the living about what to expect. Some persons claim to have died and been reborn. Some persons claim to have died and been resurrected. But claims are not proof. And since these reborn and resurrected persons are now living, then the simple and best explanation is that they really did not experience death and their claims are false. Is it not suspicious that all of these claims to have died and returned to life describe heaven and hell in the same way as the chief priests of their chosen religion have told them almost from birth 
to imagine and expect the afterlife to be. Their eyewitness testimony never consists of one feature or scrap of information about the afterlife that doesn't fit our earthly desires, children's Bible stories, and Hollywood-inspired expectations. Question 12. In death, what can we take with us? You take away two most precious gifts. At birth, you bring these possessions with you as you enter this world. And at death, you take them away as you exit this world. Your money, fame, power, prestige, and the remainder of your proudest achievements will be left behind in this world. They belong to someone else before your birth, and after your death, they will become someone else's property. Your body and your mind are your unique gifts to the universe. They didn't exist in this world before you were born, and they never again will exist. There never has been and never will be another human face identical to your face and another human mind identical to your mind with your thoughts, feelings, and your experiences. In life, your mind and your body have been your most valuable and important possessions. You briefly shared them with the universe, but your mind and body belong only to you. So in death, they go with you. And finally, question 13. Is it normal to think about death? We cannot choose the life we have, but we can choose how we meet the life we are given. We cannot choose how or when we will die, but we can choose how we meet death. The most important thing about death, Socrates and Plato agree, is the spirit in which one meets it. You and I will do no better than to meet death in the spirit of Socrates himself during his final hours in this world. As recounted in his dialogue, known as the Phaedo, Plato describes the death of Socrates as an opportunity to teach all of us about the significance of death, especially the good death of a good person. 
Socrates in court had pleaded for his life against those who wrongfully wished to put him to death. Now, Socrates defends his willingness to die against his closest friends who plead with him to escape death in obedience to the unjust verdict of the court. Plato writes, then raising the cup to his lips, quite readily and cheerfully he drank the poison. Most of us had been able to control our sorrow. But now, when we saw him drinking, we could no longer. In spite of myself, my own tears were flowing fast, so that I covered my face and wept, not for him, but at the thought of my own calamity in having to part from such a friend. Nor was I the first, Credo, when he found himself unable to restrain his tears, had got up. And Apollodorus, who had been weeping all the time, broke out in a loud and passionate cry which made cowards of us all. Socrates alone retained his calmness. What is this strange outcry, he said. A man should die in peace. Be quiet then and have patience. When we heard his words, we were ashamed and refrained our tears. And in a minute or two, his eyes were set and Credo closed his eyes. Plato writes, Of all the men of his time whom I have known, he was the wisest and justest and best. So is it normal to think about death? Yes, my friend, it is normal and wise to think deeply about death. Like Socrates, we die with our eyes wide open. Shouldn't we also live with our eyes wide open? Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Corey, the Laughing Philosopher. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I've devoted my professional life to the intersection of sociology and philosophy, where the contemporary problems of life 
meet the ideas and convictions of the greatest human minds. Join me by subscribing to The Laughing Philosopher as we use reason and wisdom to explore big answers to the most important of all big questions. How to live.